Welcome to BNB with Ellie, Biohacking and Beyond, the podcast where we dive into the incredible world of self-healing and mind-body connection using biohacking and lessons from Germanic New Medicine. Good day, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Biohacking Beyond with Ellie Abella. I am so excited to have my guest today. And let me introduce who she is. My guest today is a board-certified integrative health practitioner who was pretty disillusioned with the wellness industry, just like all of us. She transitioned her focus to working with individuals in a capacity that champions personal freedom and acknowledges the body's inherent self-healing capabilities. She guides people in reclaiming their power and overcoming apprehensions about their bodies. And drawing from the principles of the five biological laws, her approach to health centers on cultivating awareness, shifting perceptions, and embracing radical personal responsibility. This is Abigail Puccioni. Hi, Abigail. Hey, thanks so much for having me. You're welcome. Thank you so much for gracing our show. It is lovely to have a classmate in the GHK courses. I've seen your name pop up a lot in the the different groups I'm in. So it's (laughs) fun to be able to meet you here on Zoom. Yes. And I'm following you on Instagram and looking at all of your interesting posts. I love the way you put that together. You're in Andy's certification courses, right? Well, I've done a few of her courses, her beginners one, and then the advanced one. And now in the constellations course, which I believe you're in as well. And I'm actually also in Dr. Sasha's Freya course, which is exciting. Have you done that? I am on my third run. I'm in charge of the Asian Freya. And so he allows me to kind of be in the course just because they're all my clients and they really are in need of Freya. And it is a course that will just save the world. Yeah. No, I have actually started recommending to so many of my clients. I'm like, you need to take the Freya course. (laughs) And did you finish that course already? No, I'm in it actually right now. So I think it finishes in like April. Okay, perfect. Oh my gosh. Amazing. I mean, yes, highly recommend. I mean, it's hard. It's not that easy, but my gosh, the effects are so atomic. Mm -hmm. It's like small changes, but really, really explosive results. So I love it. So Abigail, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Like if you have an origin story, where are you located? What do you do exactly? Just a little background on who Abigail is. Of course. So I, you know, went to university and then I started having a lot of chronic pain. Um, I used to be a a pretty serious ballet dancer. And so I had to quit, you know, doing what I loved. And that was really, that was really tough. Um, And I had a lot of different um, health symptoms start popping up. And so that kind of led me into, well, because at the time that I started having all these health symptoms, I was running my own uh, e-commerce company. I had graduated college. I was, you know, really into, you know, building up, you know, my business and all that. And I actually had to just completely close it down and quit doing everything because I started having so many different weird, just kind of mysterious, like health symptoms. And so I, you know, of course, pursued the very conventional route. I mean, my dad's a doctor, you know, I went to different states, to different countries to see some of the top experts to try to figure out, you know, what was going on with me. And I mean, I won't get into everything, but, you know, I was diagnosed with, with osteoporosis, with degenerative disc disease, you know, I had some herniated discs, I, you know, of course, chronic pain, 
I was diagnosed with, I think irritable bowel syndrome and chronic fatigue and genetic disorder. They did all this, you know, genetic testing and I have what's called Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. And so, you know, it was a lot of stuff coming at me at this time. And so, you know, I I closed my business and after I realized that so many doctors were not able to give me any really answers as far as, okay, like we can make a diagnosis, but you know, what do we do now? Like there's, you know, you're kind of stuck with us. Um, and there wasn't a lot of, you know, hope in that messaging. Right. So anyway, that's how I kind of got into integrative health. Wow. Okay. How old were you when you got all of these multiple diagnoses? I mean, when I'm listening to you and I was like, my gosh, you were going through such a psychobiological. I would say early to mid twenties and then mid twenties is when I found integrative health. And I got really into that, you know, I mean, doing the, the detoxing, the protocols, I decided to, you know, get my certification as an integrative health practitioner and, you know, started seeing clients and all of, all of that. So I got very into that because that did, I think it helped to a certain extent. And now through the lens of GHK, I see why, you know, for the most part, why that stuff did help, you know, a little bit, right. But it didn't help like all the way. Like I was still left with a lot of chronic symptoms. And what was really interesting to me and also working with clients is that, you know, I I lived a perfectly clean life, you know, non-toxic, everything, organic, everything, right? Like, you know, air filters in every room. I had the, the whole house water filter. I mean, my gosh, I mean, I was living a pretty clean life. And I remember I went to see this integrative specialist myself, this, she's actually one of the, you know, top integrative oncologists in the world. And I did not have a cancer diagnosis myself, but my mom did. So anyway, long story short, I ended up going out with her and just wanting to see her myself to get some labs done. And anyway, she was reviewing one of my labs with me and was like, well, you know, you're just not, your detox pathways are blocked and you're not really a good detoxer because the drainage pathways and this and that. And, and of course, I mean, by this point I had done several functional medicine detoxes. I had done the parasite protocols. I had done the mold detoxing protocols. I had done the mold remediation in the house. I mean, oh my God, like I had done, so I don't know if you've heard of cell core, but I mean, I, I was doing all the things. Right. And so I just kind of looked at her and I'm like, you know, why are my, you know, is this just like, she's like, oh, well, we don't know. Maybe it's just genetic. And I'm like, okay, so I'm just like a bad detoxer. Like my, you know, my drainage pathways, despite doing all of these years and, and probably, I mean, probably exceeding a hundred thousand dollars by this point that I invested in my, in my healing journey, I'm sure, you know, why are my detox pathways still blocked? You know, why am I still having these, you know, lingering chronic symptoms? You know, what is going on here? And she just kind of looked at me. She's like, well, I don't know. I'm like, oh my gosh, like conventional medicine industry. I feel like they're pretty open and honest about being like, well, yeah, we don't know, which is refreshing. Right. But you know, in the, in the holistic space, I feel like there's a lot of times this certainty, like, oh yeah, we know this is the root cause. This is the root cause, you know? And, and I was fully, I mean, this is how I practiced with my clients. Right. So I totally understand all that. And then to, to hear this, you know, really extremely knowledgeable integrative health doctor being like, well, yeah, we don't know why I was like, I'm there. There must be a big piece of the puzzle missing here because I know that there's more to it. This cannot be the the end all be all that, oh, well, 
that's just kind of how it is. And that's how you're built. Like I, you know, I didn't believe that. And especially because I was doing everything right, you know, yeah. everything that should have gotten rid of my symptoms already. And, and so anyway, that's when I started to kind of branch into the more, the mind body space mm-hmm. and thinking about, um, I think one of the first things I came across was about chronic pain specifically, which I think it's called TMS. Yeah. Tension, myostitial something syndrome. Anyway, it's the, it's the concept that negative traumatic experiences in our life affects the body, right. And creates, you know, chronic pain. And so I feel like it's kind of similar to GHK, but just not very specific. Have you yeah. heard of it? Um, no, I haven't, but you know, what comes to mind is also, you know, the biohacking space, which I know you're familiar with. Yeah. Um, right, there yeah. lies the, the, the birth of biohacking is the same thing. It's, it's like they make their money out of, you know, you l- are deficient in this. You need more of this. You need to enhance this regenerative pathway with light, with PMF and all, and you'll be yeah. fine. Right. But I am in the biohacking space, but biohacking misses so much. The psyche part, they miss so much. And it kind of like when you were saying that, I was like just laughing there because that's exactly how um, biohacking was born because Dave Asprey was sick and everybody was telling him, you're done. You're, you just reach a dead end We're, we can't do anything for you. And he wouldn't take no for an answer. So he, you know, he searched for modalities, diets, machines, nature, and all of that got completely better. So, yeah, yeah. but there still is a, a real missing link. So TMS, I haven't heard of it. You know, what they say is autoimmune. Basically, if they, if they really can't find an exact cause of something, they'll call it autoimmune or they'll call it chronic. And they'll just say that the body is fighting itself, you know, (laughs) it's just so easy. And we just eat that up and we believe that. Oh yeah, Yeah. of course. There's so many things that are just kind of grouped in under a, a label, right? And I mean, any, anything that ends in itis, right? Signifies, you know, inflammation. Well, of course, of course there is inflammation, but, but why, what's actually causing that inflammation? What's the purpose of it? Like, and I think that for me discovering GHK, it it was just totally life-changing because I, I was already on the path of exploring that, you know, the mind body thing, like I mentioned the, the TMS and there, you know, this whole concept that, you know, negative emotions creates you know, the bad symptoms. And and so then you start to fall into the, you know, the more energy healing space, like kind of like, oh, there's a trapped emotion, like in your liver, you know, the anger is trapped in your liver and it's causing, you know, anger issues and it's causing liver stuff like, you know, and, and so anyway, I, I feel like that is a very, it's like maybe kind of related to, to GHK principles, but in a very loose way. And I feel like that's what both the conventional and holistic fields are missing is that link because, you know, even in conventional medicine, they do, you know, agree that, well, you know, stress and trauma and, you know, adverse childhood, you know, experiences, right? Like, that is linked with a whole variety of different diseases and symptoms and things later on in life. And so we know, and I think intuitively too, we know that stuff that happens in our life does impact our physiological reality. But I think we're like GHK provides the missing piece as to exactly how that takes place. Like, you know, the mechanism of action, the, the specifics, 
you know, like, well, two people that experience the same life trauma and one ends up with, you know, breast cancer, the other ends up with autoimmune issues and another with skin issues and then another with no symptoms at all. And so GHK for me, what was understanding the specifics. And I think when I, when I first discovered it, it was like just a million little light bulbs went off and it was like, oh my gosh, this is the piece that I had been waiting for the, the missing piece and everything made so much sense. And I think it definitely did help that building up to that, I had already been kind of poking holes in, you know, the, the holistic space, like, you know, through the, the, my journey of, you know, conventional medicine and then the holistic space and then kind of the mind body space, but in a very generalized way and then finding GHK. Exactly. And, and, you know, I love it because they, they'll just say, oh, it's stress, you know, stress by Hans Selye. He said that, you know, it's a negative emotion or negative stress reaction. They love to bunch it up into that word, but they don't know that specificity is required for you to know exactly what kind of stress, because that's conflict content, right? So I'm in the trauma space. I'm a trauma therapist. And I know about the adverse childhood experiences. They did studies about it saying that if you, you know, there were a set of 10 questions and if you score uh, between four and 10, that you increase your likelihood of ending up as an alcoholic or an addict or, or somebody with a, a consolation or like what we call yeah. behavioral disorders would increase by 70% if that happens. So yes, we all know that. But like what you said, GHK totally just laser focuses on exactly what is going on. In fact, you just look at the organ, you know exactly what's going on. Like I have people come to me, oh, my uterus is this and my cervix and the, oh, okay. What's going on in your what's going on in your relationship? <laughs> yeah. Do you ever find that that people, because I've definitely had this experience where, you know, they tell you a symptom and you're like, oh, well, well, how's your relationship with your mother? And they're like, what? Did you just read my mind? <laughs> Especially when you know about the handedness and which side of the body it's on. And you know, you're you're asking kind of these questions, and they're just like, Oh, are you like reading my mind right now? <laughs> Yeah, totally. It's so rare to have um, people say there's nothing at all. Like everything that you're saying, no, I don't remember anything at all that is matching what you're saying. But 90% of the time, it's bang on. It's super accurate. So Abigail, how did you come across GHK? How'd you get started? So I think that I was at the time I came across a little over a year ago, I was following both Dr. Melissa Sell and Freya Kellett. And, and so one of their accounts, I forget, I was like following one of them and, or started following them. And yeah, anyway, I came across it, um, there and then listening to their podcast, uh, Freya has one, Dr. Melissa has one, and then also Dr. Melissa's YouTube channel, which are all great resources. And yeah, that's how I first discovered it. And it was just like, I was immediately obsessed and I actually quit my, my health coaching. I closed my practice. Cause I'm like this, like, I can't keep doing this. This just feels like even before I found GHK, it was starting to feel really unaligned, you know, because I, I had clients that, you know, I would have them on these protocols and some of them would, would have great results and get better. And, and then some of them wouldn't. And so I was kind of like, okay, well, why, you know, why is this? And, and also I, I did, you know, functional medicine lab testing. And so I would look at different lab results and it was really interesting because certain uh, clients of mine that I would expect would have like worse looking labs 
um, their labs actually came back looking pretty good. And I'm like, oh, that's weird because they have like pretty severe symptoms or, or clients that the, you know, the labs would look really bad, but their symptoms were more mild. So I'm starting to like kind of get a little confused with that. Like, okay, like why are all these, there, these discrepancies between, you know, lab results and how someone's actually feeling and the symptoms they're showing and just, you know, all that. So I kind of was walking away from that already, but I, I knew that I wasn't practicing in a way that felt really good and aligned. You know, I felt like there, there was something else I was supposed to discover. So then, like I said, you know, I kind of found the mind body space. And during this time, I, I kind of decided to step away from, from coaching while I figured out like, okay, like how to, you know, kind of finish healing myself, right? Like what to do with my remaining chronic symptoms. And then how would I want to practice? What do I want, you know, how, how do I want to show up to help people in a way that I actually feel really aligned with and feel really good about? So, you know, during this time I, I discovered GHK of course. And so I actually made that my full-time job. I just studied it like about eight hours a day. I just would, I mean, I, you know, all the online resources, the free resources, the books, the, the chart, you know, I mean, all of that, I've taken a lot of different courses with, you know, with Andy, with Melissa, I've worked with, you know, different um, GHK consultants, if you will, one-on-one, and I just really dove into, to learning. And so, yeah, I only recently started seeing clients from this new perspective just a few months ago. So I would consider myself still a bit new to the GHK space, but I feel like even though I've only known it for, you know, just over a year, I I became very obsessed with just going all in and studying and learning. I was just like eating it up. <laughs> <laughs> I to- I totally uh, understand. And and you know, Dr. Melissa is like, you know, a luminary in the, you know, English speaking JHK space. Uh, she's so knowledgeable. She's so very generous with her content and she teaches in a way that, you know, makes you uh, learn more like in her vernacular the way, what she how she teaches it. And I found GHK also two years ago, same thing, like you just dove into it. And it's like, this is what really makes sense, period. It fills in all of these missing gaps. But just to bring it back to you, how did you apply GHK to your own chronic symptoms, like to your, and were you able to kind of retroactively look at what happened, who, what triggered your SBSs before, so sensible biological special programs, aka diseases, or the osteoporosis, the chronic fatigue? Tell us about that. Yeah. Um, okay. So <laughs> I don't know where you want to start, but I guess, well, for, okay. The osteoporosis, we know that that's, you know, self-devaluation conflict, right. And pretty severe too. I mean, because I had the diagnosis of osteopenia, which is pre-osteoporosis by the time I was, I think 16 years old. So I was really young when I started having this pretty dramatic, like bone loss. So I was a pre-professional ballet dancer at the time. And I don't know if you know anything about ballet, but it is a field that is ripe with self-devaluation possibilities. Yeah. I don't really ever remember my ballet, like instructors, like really ever saying anything positive or giving a compliment. I mean, it it was always, it was always about how you weren't good enough. Of course, commenting on like the body appearance, like needing to lose weight and, and, you know, the higher up that you got in the, in the field, it would be like, oh, well, 
if you don't lose this amount of weight, then you're not going to get this part. You know, I remember going to summer intensives and like hearing girls like throwing up in the bathroom, like, you know, bulimic. And it was just, it was, I think a very tough, very cutthroat field to be in, especially as a young teen. I'm pretty sure that that was, I mean, I don't have a specific conflict shock moment that I can remember, but you know, and this is something that I really like to emphasize in GHK, because I think that this is something that a lot of people can get hung up on is that it's okay. If you can't remember like the exact conflict shock moment, I always recommend, you know, zooming out a bit and kind of getting a more big picture idea of what was going on at that time in your life. You know, what was kind of on your mind the most, you know, what was like a big deal to you, right? Like I kind of tried to to zoom out a bit more that way and just know that, okay, it was a self-devaluation conflict. I know that that resonates because I was extremely insecure, you know, at the time and very hard on myself, extremely perfectionistic, you know, never good enough. Like I I can see that connection, right? Even if I can't remember, you know, the exact moment, right? So anyway, but my my bone loss kind of deteriorated through my 20s and I I don't know to what extent I've gained bone back because I don't engage with the medical industry at all anymore. I don't do any diagnostic screenings. I don't care to, I don't see a a reason because I'm, you know, symptom free. I just trust that I'm feeling good and healthy. And I feel like, you know, even if I have not resolved the self-devaluation all the way, I'm definitely on that path. (laughs) That's a little bit about that. Yeah, well, thank goodness you didn't go to the doctor, you know, during your healing phase, they would have diagnosed you with leukemia. And that would have sent you, you know, throughout a downward spiral from there, that time, that kind of place that you were in, you may have taken their word for it and believed them and then gone through the whole protocol. So thank goodness you you were lucky enough to not have done that. It was divine timing. Now I see the the risk of getting a diagnosis, depending on where you're at in the healing phase or the active conflict phase, how much that can impact what diagnosis you receive. And that is, that's a little scary. I mean, it's kind of like playing Russian roulette, you know, with like, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And and it's so brutal what you're saying about the ballet. I took ballet before, but I was okay. probably never as good as you, but I understand what comes to mind is the movie Black Swan and yeah. just the, yeah. you know, the, the pressure on her and, and she wouldn't, she wouldn't eat anything. You know, when we know GHK, we kind of, we know the constellations because we know them, we kind of use them if they serve us. So it's like, you know, like the anorexia and bulimia constellation. It's a, you know, sexual territorial conflict plus something else on the other side. And if it will help us kind of get in that into that weight that will serve us. And when we don't need to, like when we're off training, you know, get off the constellation and then, you know, gain back the weight kind of thing. But people don't know GHK. And so there's always this self-devaluation. There's this survival mechanism that's going on. And that's not healthy, especially if it goes long-term. And so, you know, for girls, teenagers, my gosh, their self-image, their identity of themselves, it's always at stake. And I'm so happy that you got out of it. And then the other one, let's see what, oh, the chronic pain. Yeah. So that actually started with an injury, although I say injury and I know that there's a, what we think of as an injury is not always just a physical injury, right? Like I think that what was going on is there was tissue in my back that was weakened 
And I was doing some contortionist stuff again with the ballet, you know, and I was flipping into a back bend and I heard something kind of like, like a bad noise, you know, and a lot of pain. And that was my first herniated disc. But, um, what I see now is that I think it was not just that motion. Cause I had done that before and been fine. Right. So yes. I think that there was some tissue breakdown, build up, breakdown, build up. you know, th there was some, some adaptation in the tissues going on that weakened my back to, to, you know, get that injury. Right. So, you know, again, self-evaluation, <laughs> yes. um, but yeah, that was, that was a big part of, let's say about 10 years of my life. I would say from the time I was 16 to like 26, like chronic pain just completely dominated my life. It was really bad back pain. Um, and there were a few years where it got a little better, a little worse. And then I, I look at, okay, well, what was going on in my life, you know, and, and it just kind of like matches like the, the, you know, the ups and downs. Right. And so that, that was a big one. And that was what led me to getting diagnosed with Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, which is a genetic disorder, which is interesting because all of the symptoms that I had, you know, the gut issues, the kind of chronic fatigue, the, you know, like low blood pressure. I mean, all these different things that they grouped in with like, oh, like attributing it to the genetic disorder and like, oh, I'm just hypermobile and which, you know, I am like a little, you know, hypermobile and, you know, there's a reason for that. I'm sure like, you know, why, you know, in utero or whatever that, you know, I developed that way, um, having a little more, you know, hypermobility in the joints, but everything was attributed to that, you know, the, the back pain, like all these symptoms, they're like, oh, you know, we finally found this diagnosis and you have this genetic disorder. So that's, you know, that's that. And it makes me so sad for people that have that diagnosis that think that because they have this genetic disorder, there's nothing they can do to change it. And that they're stuck with those symptoms. Cause I don't have any of those symptoms anymore, even though I would probably still be, you know, getting the genetic testing, having this, you know, result come back. Right. Where I don't even know, maybe I wouldn't even test positive for that anymore because I, I do think that what we resolve and the conflicts we go through obviously impacts our genetic like expression as well. Yes. And what we know about genetic is the extent to which diseases or conditions become genetic is really inherited behavior f because of exposure to your parents and their tendencies and their sensitivities. Because mm -hmm. you sort of, when you're a child, you, there are mirror neurons and you kind of emulate or see the world from the filter of how your adults see it. And you kind of also interpret that, that the world is this way because my adults are that way. And you kind of inherit it that way. That's as far as genetics would go. If you look at it biologically from a GHK sense, right? I, and you know how they love to clump together all of these symptoms and label it a disease when they're actually just separate conflicts that, you know, come together commonly experienced by everybody. And then they say, well, it's common enough that we can label it into some, you know, condition and create a test for it and create a solution for it and create everything, prescribe something. You have a problem. We have the solution. You know, something, something came to mind because you and I are in Andy's constellation course, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, that the, there's a double self-devaluation conflict known as megalomania. And most people who are a very talented, like people in sports, they have a double um, self-devaluation conflict about their performance and, you know, mm -hmm. megalomania, yeah. intelligence, you know, things of that nature. Everybody who is an award-winning author, actor, screenwriter, you know, a playwright, whatever, 
they're they all have this consolation this this a type of consolation mythomania whatever very common <laughs> very common but i was thinking but maybe that the way your teachers were you know putting you down and always maybe that kind of triggered talent in people you know that that kind of triggered megalomania in people performance consolation that made them really rise above and really brought out the talent what do you Actually, think that's really that's a good observation yeah i'm sure that we know that constellations exist and stuff but i think what some people don't realize is that whether or not you know ghk this stuff is still going you know this stuff is still going on this is still happening and so i think that that would make a lot of sense that people would observe like oh if i treat them like this then i get this response i get a better performance out of them and now we now we know why <laughs> <laughs> So for just for li listeners who who don't know much about GHK or just you know diving into it, could you explain what to us what a constellation is? Sure. Okay. So a constellation is essentially the body's way of adapting to two or more conflict shocks that instead of resulting in just a physical adaptation and the tissue level, it creates a behavioral change to help you better cope with whatever situation you're going through. So it's the same way, you know, that we would look at, okay, like acne popping up on the face as an attack conflict. And, and that's the body's logical biological response to the, the attack conflict you experienced, you know, is to have a little skin shield pop up to, you know, help protect you. Right. And this is very, from a very primal perspective, of course, but when the body again, like, or when the psyche is perceiving two or more conflict shocks going on, it's, it's too much just for that, for that physical level. So then it to, to help you cope with the conflict it says okay this physical adaptation is not enough we need to create you know another like a, a more behavioral you know mental adaptation in order to help you cope with you know whatever because you must be pretty conflicted so we're going to help you cope with this basically um is how i kind of describe it <laughs> beautiful description and you know just so everybody knows we all have our set of constellations yeah, we all i actually recently had my brain scan read by um dr sasha which was a really cool experience I had um, mine a year ago. and what did you yeah. learn about yourself <laughs> oh wow I, I learned a lot actually it was interesting because most of it was stuff that i totally expected so it wasn't a lot of like new or surprising stuff. And I, I can't remember everything on there off the top of my head, but I know post-mortal constellation, the mythomanic constellation. That's why I like to talk a lot, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the, the flyer constellation. And he was telling me that the combination of the flyer and the mythomanic makes a really great storyteller. So... <laughs> Yes. yes. Yeah. Like doing the, the podcast stuff and all that. I, let's see what else the autistic constellation. That was a big one that I knew I had. I was never formally diagnosed with autism from the time I was about, well, and it's interesting. Cause I asked, I asked Dr. Sasha, okay, what, what time, like what age range did this constellation occur for me? And he said, oh, between the ages of eight and 10. And it was interesting because it was around age 10 that I started exhibiting the behaviors of autism. I always had to have my hair slicked back in a ponytail, like the same way. And there couldn't be a hair out of place. Like I would actually take oil to slick it back because it bothered me, which was really weird, you know, but like, um, it would bother me so much if it was not perfectly slicked back. 
it was almost, you know, like painful. And so I, I started to have these obsessive tendencies, pretty minor. And he was saying the reason why for you that the autism presents is, is more minor than, than for other people with that diagnosis is because I did not constellate until around age 10. And so when you constellate later, like most people with autism constellate way earlier, like, you know, right. around ages, you know, three, four, five, six, seven, right. Like, right. you know, a lot earlier in life. And so that's why for me, it was never diagnosed. I think I was also very good at masking symptoms, but yeah, I, I hated wearing socks. Couldn't wear socks because of the seam, you know, that went across the toes, <laughs> like little sensory things like that. And even still, um, I would say that's, I've definitely downgraded, but I'm still in that constellation because I have a lot of issues with, with, you know, different, it has to be a specific texture. You know, I'm very picky about how my clothes feel, um, about my sheets and the, the bedding, you know, the, and you know, when I, when I sleep, it has to be like a certain way in my room, like a certain temperature in the room, very temperature sensitive, you know, can't have any light coming through the windows. Like I like routine. I like things the same. Wow. So, yeah. Oh. Do you, do you know your DHS, like between eight, uh, the, the ages of eight and 10, the scare, fright and territorial anger constellation would be autism. Would you know yeah. your DHS? And do you think maybe there are tracks to the general biological conflict shock? Yeah. So I know actually what happened when I was age 10 is I was riding a horse. I was really into riding horses and I got bucked off the horse and I ended up, I, I landed and, um, I landed like sitting kind of on my butt, but apparently the impact was so, you know, jarring that it actually created a brain bleed. And so within 10 minutes of that happening, I was completely paralyzed on my left side. So, you know, they called 911 and I mean, it was extremely, you know, traumatic going to the hospital. They like cut all your clothes off of you. They were like putting IVs in me and I mean, you know, getting MRIs and all this stuff. And my body ended up healing itself, you know, especially, you know, we, I mean, we have the ability to, to do that, right. Our bodies are incredible. And I think, especially as a child, your, your body, you know, is, is a bit more resilient too. But, um, yeah, I was able to walk again, uh, within, I think a, a, a day or two that kind of, you know, went away, but I was still weak on my left side. So I had to stay in the hospital for a while to have, you know, the rehab and they did all these, you know, tests on me, like, you know, to check my cognitive functioning. And I, I remember in the hospital and my parents said this too, my personality totally changed. I became, I was a really sweet, quiet, you know, girl. And then I became extremely angry. I think I even took something I would like try to throw it at the doctors. Like I hated all the doctors. I hated the nurses. I hated everyone. I hated having to be in the hospital and be being away from my, my beloved dog. Yeah. It was a really, really hard time for me. Um, and, and then the doctor also told me, oh, this was a definite DHS. I think this is probably the territorial anger. The doctor told me that I couldn't ride horses for, I think he said, I forget if he said I couldn't ride horses again because it would be too big of a risk or I couldn't ride them for at least a year. And, you know, my parents would have to keep me really safe and not let me, you know, no, you know, sports, nothing could hit my head. I couldn't, you know, no risk of falling, like that sort of thing. So he basically said, like, you can't do what you love. And that's when I really went crazy. I'm pretty sure that was it. <laughs> yes. That was the second conflict right there that. Yeah. That yeah. And of course, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, um, 
yeah, there are so many potential DHSs within the span of the two weeks that that happened, but I'm pretty sure it had a lot to do with that. And then after that's when I started, um, I would say exhibiting more of the autistic characteristics, again, minor, you know, never diagnosed or anything like that, but I was also homeschooled. And so I was able to learn in a way that worked for me. And, you know, I'm not sure what it would have been like if I was in a, in a, you know, public school or something, but I think obviously, you know, when I'm, you know, primarily by myself most of the day and and learning at my own pace and learning about things that interest me, I don't think that my autistic traits would have been as noticeable, of course. Right. Right. Oh my gosh. That's so interesting. And are there any tracks you think that are, you know, still going on just that loss of territory, that anger, or maybe the doctor's telling you, you can't do this anymore. Or what do you think? None that I've picked up on directly, although, and I'm, and I think I have a lot of secondary tracks, you know, things that have been picked up with, with other traumatic experiences over time. Right. Um, yeah. I do know that really loud noises are really hard for me, like, and, and, you know, sensory things. Right. And so like a a baby crying, it's basically as if someone was stabbing me with a knife is how that feels to my ears. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, there, there are certain things like that, but I do think that I've been able to downgrade even without knowing, even before I knew, you know, GHK, I, I think I, I was, in the process of, you know, and I know this is something Dr. Melissa says, you know, you improve what it's like to be you when you're working to improve the experience of being you in every area in your life, you can't help but downgrade everything really. So I think I was already kind of in that process, but I do know a lot of my tracks now that are remaining have to do with, with sleep, like having things just so in my sleep environment. I think (laughs) that, which maybe actually now that I think of it is because when I was in the hospital, I was in the bed the whole time. Right. And when I was paralyzed, I was stuck in the bed. And when the doctor told me that I was in my hospital bed, I'm not sure if potentially something like, like maybe that's why the the bed is, is, you know, a track being in a bed. Everyday yeah. track. Right. Yeah. What about your paralysis? Did you have an epicrisis? Did you have a, a, a shaking seizure to get you right back into movement or? No, there was no seizure, no shaking. Um, it was just the paralysis on the left side, the whole left side of the body. And, you know, I, I'm actually not sure if there was uh, a conflict that, you know, went into healing that there, you know, something that was going on in the brain already from, you know, the GHK perspective, or if it was solely, you know, injury from that, you know, fall off the horse. I don't know. That's yeah. interesting. interesting. Question, though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it would be interesting because we know, and, and I, I usually talk about the SBSs at the end of the podcast. I'm just going to add that. But you also said that you may have also had, was it Crohn's or colitis when you were oh, younger? Irritable bowel disease. Yeah. So, yes. Yeah. I, yeah. Irritable bowel syndrome. Yeah. So I, that was actually something that didn't pop up until I was, I think like just out of college. Yeah, it was when I was just out of college. It was like a really hard time in my life. There were there were a lot, a lot of potential indigestible morsels. I can tell you that. <laughs> Actually, I was living in Italy at the time because I had moved there to open like a European branch of my business. So I was in Italy. I started having lots of gut issues. 
And that's when, you know, I, I got that diagnosis. And it's interesting though, because during my CT scan reading with Dr. Sasha, I, I asked him, cause you know, the, the indigestible morsel came up that, you know, hanging healing, right. Although I don't really have, I mean, my gut issues now are extremely minor and they only pop up every once in a while. And I, I do know more of my tracks with that now. Right. But, um, it's interesting because I said, okay, when did this, when did I first have this, this conflict? And he said, well, probably about 10 years ago, which would be exactly, and he said about, you know, he can't tell for sure exactly, but about 10 years ago, which lines up exactly with when I started having the gut symptoms. And so that was pretty cool that, you know, and he knew nothing about me or my symptoms. I didn't fill out any intake form. You know, this is all from the CT scan read. And so he's like, yeah, that, that popped about 10 years ago. I'm like, well, yeah, that's true. And then I, through, you know, the past, I would say few years, I think that has been downgrading, but that was one of the ones that really got, I would say like 95% better once learning about GHK. So much more sense. <laughs> yeah. Cause then, you know, your sensitivities and your tracks and the people that trigger it, you know, or the situations that kind of trigger it. So you figured out also your DHS in Italy. I mean, it's not eating too much pizza, right? And <laughs> no, <laughs> although I was gluten-free. Oh my gosh. And when I was in integrative health, I played around with the gluten-free dairy-free stuff so much. Um, yeah. that never helped. And looking back, I'm like, why did I keep doing something that wasn't working? And I think that's just how brainwashed, I guess I was by the whole like holistic space thinking that, oh, I need to do this and then this. And then instead of seeing, oh, maybe that's just not working. My thought immediately went to, well, it's a parasite. Now I have to do a parasite cleanse, you know, like it was always like, adding on more stuff instead of evaluating if the stuff I had been doing, like realizing that it wasn't really working, I guess. And I'm not sure why I continued in it so yeah. long, but biohacking, the mold, the mold remediation, that's so big. And, um, you know, this diet, this next supplement, the peptides, and you need this and that. And my gosh, you could spend thousands of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars on <laughs> machines and all of that. But it's, it's still missing, right? Because, you know, all of these biohackers and these amazing health coaches are still dropping like flies. They still get, you know, cardiac arrest and cancer. So what is the missing link? And meanwhile, there are these people who are eating spam and Coke and they're fine. So the, there has to be some sort of variable, which I think really GHK really. And, you know, there's that placebo effect, right? Okay. I did this new awesome. thing. Yeah. It's working for me. And, uh, I, I think this is the reason I'm feeling good. <laughs> when it's changing your perception. It is. It's if you have the belief that something's going to work for you and you're, you're investing money in yourself, you're investing time in yourself. I mean, of course that's going to, to downgrade, you know, a lot of conflicts in the process. Yeah, right. Exactly. And so I do see why there's this, you know, why, why this stuff kind of does work for, for a lot of people. And I always like to say, you know, it's never, it's never about the, the thing it's about your relationship to the thing, which I think using certain modalities from the, the GHK kind of, you know, framework is a really beautiful thing because then, you know, okay, I can do this to support my body, you know, cause I'm in this healing phase and knowing like, you know, I know Andy teaches this in her, in her, um, advanced course, like, you know, knowing what kind of, you know, supplements and herbs like different, or even medications to use when you are in healing versus active, you know, you want to work with the body and support it instead of just suppressing 
symptoms, you know, like a a band-aid fix and never allowing your body to kind of naturally finish off that healing phase. Yeah, exactly. No, I love it. I love that we can layer it all together and really make a decision because we're not very anti-medical, you know, right. you know it, it, yeah, it yeah, still yeah. Makes, makes sense, you know, especially if it's an emergency, if it's triage or, you know, if there's an injury, an accident, oh my gosh, go to the ER, please. Don't yeah. go, <laughs> don't go to a, a natural holistic, yeah. you know, biohacking center, go to the ER, it, just do what makes sense. But, but of course it it is the pretty much the the last resort. So Abigail, you see clients. Do you have any success stories that you can share of what SBS has just successfully, um, or what do you call it? They call it spontaneous healing, but we, we just call it sure. biological phase. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I started working with clients from a GHK perspective and I think it was like end of November, beginning of December. So of just, you know, a few months ago. So it hasn't been that long, but I actually work in a way that's a bit different from other people in this space. So a lot of people will work with someone on kind of a regular basis to kind of help them not just find the conflict, but kind of like work through it, you know, and, and I, I might do something like that in the future, but right now what I've really been feeling is just doing kind of these one-off sessions with people where I essentially help, I, I play detective, right. And I help them find the conflict. And I help them understand, I I like to actually call myself a GHK, like educator instead of, you know, a coach. Cause I feel like I don't, I don't really coach people in the way that most people would typically think of like coaching, like to, okay, like help them like resolve stuff. But what I do is, is mostly just educating people and breaking down. And I guess what I'm most passionate about is breaking down GHK in a way that makes sense to someone who is totally new to it or maybe knows a little bit, but would like to know more about the different, you know, tissue layers or specific types of conflicts. And, you know, they want to understand this in, in their own life. And so I help them, you know, make a timeline and, you know, we find the conflict. And, and I feel like a lot of this is also just intuition because they'll be talking for a few minutes and within a few minutes, or even just from reading their intake form, I usually have a pretty strong sense of intuition as to what the conflict is about. And I'll be like, okay, so, you know, what about this? And be like, oh my gosh, yeah, like that's, that lands, that's it. And so, yeah, really been feeling into utilizing more that, that feminine side of me, like with that intuition, as far as helping someone find the conflict, that's really fun for me. And I feel like it just feels, it feels good as opposed to how I used to practice with, you know, a very masculine approach where I would, you know, look at their functional medicine lab tests and I would say, okay, you need this protocol. You need this supplement. You need this. It was very like, da, 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 you know, it was very formulaic more in a, in a masculine energy. Right. And like, so now I, I am trying to coach more in a way that to educate rather in a way that is also empowering the, the individual, like, Hey, like, I don't really want you to need me after one or two sessions, you know, maybe they book a follow-up or two or whatever, but like, I don't want you to need me for like, you know, a months long coaching package because that's I, like, I want to, to, you know, communicate the point to people that they, that everything is out there for them to learn GHK. There are so many free resources they certainly don't need me. You know, they, they can learn this themselves. I, I think it's about the, the personal freedom, the personal responsibility, the empowerment of like, Hey, like you don't need to spend more money on coaching on my services on, you know, whatever, but I can, I'm, I think of my services more as like a shortcut, you know? So 
it will save you a lot of hours of self-study if I can help explain to you in a, in a one-hour session what, like I said, would take a few hours you know, or more of self-study. So I'm essentially just helping them using my hours of study and courses I've taken and all the mentors I've worked with one-on-one and helping take you know, what I've learned and how to break it down in a way that makes sense to someone newer to GHK and helping them, you know, create the timeline, find the conflict shock, help describe the conflict to them, the different flavors of the conflict and give them some ideas for moving forward. Like, okay, this is what a practical resolution might look like. And sometimes they're like, that's not possible, or I'm not doing that. And so I'm like, okay, well then this is what a perceptual resolution would look like. (laughs) So, um, that's yeah, I guess. And I think that there definitely is something to be said for, for people who do want more support, like a longer term coaching process. I totally see the, you know, the value of that, but that's just not what I'm providing right now. But I've, you know, had some really cool client stories where they have realized the conflict and they're like, Oh my gosh. Yeah, you're totally right. But then, you know, the hard part is, is the, the resolving and, and a lot of it's like, you have to make some, some changes in your life, whether, you know, it's leaving that partner that's, that's, you know, not a good fit for you, or you're doing something like taking the Freya course and learning how to kind of repair the relationship by restoring those, you know, masculine, feminine dynamics or, you know, changing perception. Right. And yeah. What are some of the SBSs that you've resolved in your clients? Well, I haven't resolved anything in my clients. I mean, they sorry, but you have helped, yeah, you know, investigate and help them, sure. you know, find a biological solution on their own. Sure. Okay. Um, let's see. So one was really chronic health anxiety. Let's see. And um, different, let's see, one was rectal issues, like, yeah. you know, um, a, a rectal program running. Identity let's conflict, see. the rectal mucosa. Actually, it was not the identity conflict. It was the part of the rectal tissue that was an indigestible anger, like the really the part of the sigmoid colon, maybe the lowest part of the the colon. Right. Right. That let's see. Another one was like herpes on the lips that was recurring for, you know, many years. And that actually she did resolve that. Um, at least she downgraded a good deal in a pretty short amount of time, but, you know, definitely knows what the, what the conflict was. Right. And, you know, it was just working to either, either move towards a practical resolution or, you know, perceptual again, I'm working on the perceptual, but <laughs> um, yeah, it can be tricky with, you know, relationship stuff. Right. That was actually really cool because of how perfectly the time, I mean, you know, when she was describing the different, the, you know, when it popped up and what was, what happened like that exact week and, you know, when it flares up, you know, looking at, okay, what are the tracks, you know? And, um, I actually, I did do a follow-up with her and it was, it was really cool to hear about how, just how everything kind of perfectly matched up. So yeah. Another, you know, recurring UTIs, another was recurring yeast infections, another acne, gut issues. That's a big one. A lot of people with, um, you know, many food sensitivities, actually a lot of those, they have downgraded just with the awareness that, oh, it's actually not the food or actually completely gone away. I guess some people I've worked with, they've, they've told me that, you know, certain 
food sensitivities they've had, once they learned about GHK and understood the tracks and understood the initial conflict and all that, mm-hmm. it just went away because they realized, oh, it's it's not the food that I need to be like afraid of, right? So that's yeah. also, that's that's really cool. But yeah, I chronic some chronic pain. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that definitely, you know, has resolved. So, or, you know, heavily downgraded. And again, I think it's a lot from that realization that, and, you know, but I'm also not saying that, oh, they, they, know the conflict just instantly vanishes, right? Mm -hmm. I do think that that's theoretically possible, but I think that for a lot of people, there's still that underlying conflict that they need to to have a perception shift. And that's not always immediate. It can take some time to like downgrade, but I think once they have the awareness of knowing what the underlying root cause, the underlying conflict is, it makes it so much easier for them to, you know, move forward. Oh, another was um, hair loss. Yeah, really interesting. Again, perfectly lining up with with a big, you know, life event that happened. And (laughs) so it's it's fun for me just to get to play detective and to really help people understand it from a from a new perspective. Fantastic. I love it. My gosh. And and you know, just realizing that, well, that that doesn't need to serve me anymore at this time. And so I'm just going to drop it, just drop the weight on my soul. Or um, I know that there was a case study, one of Andy's courses where they said she was always so allergic when she eats this particular sandwich. And then it was in front of her and she said, darn it, I refuse to have any reaction. I'm just going to let this all go. And she ate the sandwich and she never had an allergy again. You know, it's just sometimes just that, just let it go. Yeah, drop it. (laughs) Totally. I don't know if you ever heard the story. Ah, I forget if it was on Dr. Melissa's podcast or Freya's podcast. It was on one of the two. It was a story about a guy that had a track around cappuccinos And what was really fascinating was that it was not, he could have coffee by itself and be fine. He could have milk by itself and be fine. He could have sugar by itself and be fine. But when they were combined in a, you know, like an actual cappuccino, like at a, you know, cafe or something, he would, I forget, I think it was gut symptoms. I mean, he would immediately like have to go to the bathroom, have horrible gut symptoms. It was something like that. And the track was cappuccinos. And I think his his story, I'm probably telling it wrong, but basically he, the moment he found out that his ex-girlfriend was dating a new guy, he saw a picture of her and this new guy together on Instagram and they were at a cafe drinking cappuccinos. And that, yeah, yeah. And anyway, so it was just like a really fascinating because it wasn't the actual particles, right? Like in the cappuccino, it was the, what the cappuccino represented. It was like this, again, a warning sign in the psyche. So I thought that was just like a fascinating story. (laughs) Oh my gosh. And the psyche is like this deep well of clues that hidden clues and meanings and everything, you know, it makes it really fun. Like if you approach it in a way that, oh, it's a, it's a game and it's a challenge and everything instead of, oh, I'm scared, you know, to find out what I have or everything, it actually becomes a pretty fun thing to do. Makes it really very interesting. Yeah. You want to make it not so heavy and serious. And, oh, I have to figure this out. And I, you know, have to find all my tracks, you know, because you want to make it like, oh, this is a game. And when you yeah. bring that energy to it, um, and I think for me, that's what really helped eradicate my my digestive issues, like completely. It was, it was oh, this was, it became a game to figure out, oh, like, and, and then I discovered what my tracks were. And then, you know, and then they just kind of like melted away, like, <laughs> totally. over the course of like a month or two, you know? 
Yeah. And when you remove that layer of fear, oh my gosh, mm -hmm. you, like your, your path to healing is, is so much faster when you re remove that layer of fear, just take out the fear and then look at, so what I do is I try to remove the stigma, um, around mm -hmm. certain names, like cancer. Sure. I say, can, you can, can certainly heal, or I'll, I'll say tumor. tumors, tumors are our friends. Tumors want to see, want you to see tomorrow tomorrow you know? Love that. and and what andy said i forget now if which course it was but she said that if you if you know you you accidentally hammered your thumb immediately it would swell and that's like you know cell proliferation that's like mitosis that's a tumor so mm -hmm. you know a tumor is a gift of nature and it's it has a biological function has a purpose and it's always for our survival and for our getting better so therefore if you have a tumor Good for you. Yay. <laughs> Your body's doing what it's supposed to be doing. Exactly. So Abigail, I always ask this question and we, we've been running for almost an hour. It's fascinating to just listen to you. My gosh. But I always ask this question to my guests and, and it is if you had a magic wand and you saw the world that you wanted to see, what would that world look like? Oh, well, I know one thing off the top of my head. I think it would just be fantastic to see a medical system to see, you know, hospitals, clinics that the doctors knew and understood GHK. And, you know, you can go and get your CT scan read and you can go and they can tell you, oh, you're in healing phase or active phase, like to basically to have a medical system based on GHK. I think that that would be, if I could wave my magic wand, you know, and do away with all this. Oh gosh, the global, I think Dr. Sasha calls it the the global theatrics of, you know, the, the pandemics and, you know, all the, the, you know, scary stuff and the fear mongering and, and really to have a medical system where people are not taught to fear their bodies or that, oh, things just go, you know, randomly wrong and are chaotic, you know, and I never know when a, you know, big scary diagnosis is right around the corner. Like, I think that if I could wave a magic wand, that is definitely yeah. what I would love to see in the world and to have people really know and embody this, this wisdom and to not live in, in so much fear and get back to living a bit, a bit more biologically, you know? Absolutely. Oh my gosh. I share in that vision. Beautiful, yeah. beautiful vision. Yes. I think it's going to happen in our lifetime. What do you think? I hope so. <laughs> I really hope so. I don't know. I, I think that there is kind of a global consciousness reawakening, a shift happening. I think people are starting to wake up a bit and question more and, and think, okay, well, when, you know, these people are telling us we need to be afraid of, you know, this big, scary thing that's coming you know, who's making money from that and starting to get a bit more like skeptical. I'm like, mm, okay, does, does this make sense? Does this feel good? Does this move me closer to peace or closer to fear? And I think, yeah, following our, our own intuitions a bit more and, and thinking critically about more things instead of just repeating what we've been told to repeat, you know, what we've been told to believe. And yeah, I mean, I never want to dwell too much in like skepticism, but you know, when the whole you know, when the, when the school systems and the medical systems and the universities and everything is it primarily being funded by like the government, you know, at least here in, in, in the States, I think that's, you know, cause for con concern, questioning. Yeah. Okay. So a healthy dose of questioning, we'll call it. Definitely. And I think also that's kind of the, uh, the dark horse of the, the pandemic, sorry, but <laughs> it was a little uh, bit of a slow exactly. 
you know, the <laughs> because it kind of awakened uh, this consciousness that, you know, there must be something else out there that, you know, this system is not working. So many people are dying and think people started to question what else is there. There should be something better. Like even the biohacking community, still they still believe in viruses. They still believe in infections. And they make a whole ton of money around that narrative, you know, because they hold the antidote to that, according to them. Oh, I think it's but because they don't. fear is what sells. Totally. Fear is the virus, right? Yeah. Fear is the real yeah. virus. Yeah. And it needs something to be protected against. And I got to fight the bad thing. And I got to, I mean, even if you look at the verbiage that that's using, I mean, is that how you want to like think about life and the, in your body? And like, I got to be prepared for the, the bad stuff that's on its way to come get me and, you know, could strike at any moment. I, you know, I could receive a scary diagnosis at any moment. Like, and I knew so many people in the kind of integrative health space. And like, I'm thinking of one lady in particular that she, organic everything, low tox everything. I think she, you know, had a kind of a big account on Instagram and, you know, all into like all the holistic stuff. And she ended up with a, you know, random, uh, like stage four cancer diagnosis. I think that that's also what made me start questioning. I'm like, okay, like this, this is not adding up because this lady for, for several years, she had been living, I mean, you know, and was even into all the like stress reduction stuff and meditation. And, you know, I mean, you know, the, the holistic stuff, but even some of the mind body stuff too. Like, and yeah. so I think, but that's what people also don't understand. Like biological conflict shocks are going to happen when you understand them. I think it lowers the fear and it downgrades and, and everything like that, but you can't prevent adaptations. <laughs> no, can't. I mean, it happens in a nanosecond. It's, it's been programmed and studied by life over billions of years. No, there's no way we can prevent them, but we can downgrade them like what you yes. said. Absolutely. Oh my God. I love our conversation. This is so fantastic. So Abigail, let us know where we can see you. We can find your content and also what you're offering. I saw that in your website, you had workshops, you have one-on-one. -on -one, so could you tell our audience, the Filipino audience, about how we can reach you? Yeah, so I'm on Instagram at AJ Puccioni, which I probably need to spell that. It's A-J-P-U-C-C-I-O-N-I. -I. My website is abigailpuccioni.com. I created a journal called Perception Pages, which is essentially meant to be kind of a fancy version of a, of a symptom tracker. So you write down kind of what you know, brief overview of what happened in your life that day. And then, you know, any physical symptoms, how you were feeling, how you slept, like it's kind of meant to be a way that, you know, if you do have a symptom later, you can flip back through your journal and you can kind of help connect the dots that way. So I kind of created it for people studying GHK and wanting to keep a track of their symptoms that way. So I have that on my website. I don't have any workshops coming up, but I do have a recording of a workshop that I did that was focused on how to use the journal, but also how to work towards resolutions in general, like how to resolve conflicts that, you know, that includes a lot of my different kind of like healing, you know, tips and stuff. But as far as my, my one-on-one -on -one offerings, I do uh, what I call symptom clarity sessions, which that's yeah, basically where I play detective and help you figure things out, connect the dots, understand things from a GHK perspective. Then I also just started offering something called symptom clarity minis. And this is essentially where you fill out an intake form and I review it and I send you a 15 to 30 minute audio recording of basically breaking that down for you, whatever symptom, you know, you were asking about or a specific topic in GHK, 
I spend 15 to 30 minutes kind of educating you on it and going over your intake and sharing what came up for me intuitively and sharing, you know, kind of how like some, some questions to ask yourself moving forward, some potential ideas for resolutions. So yeah, it's kind of meant to be a more convenient offering for those who, you know, maybe don't need a full session, but they just need a little extra help or with like a question answered. And so I started doing that because, you know, people, people are busy. And if you don't want to have to, you know, be committed to something on the schedule, then this is a really flexible option. So, and yeah, I also have a podcast <laughs> where, uh, with, with Ashley, my friend, Ashley and I, um, so yeah. What's the name of your podcast? Oh, sorry. It's called freedom from fear, a German new medicine podcast. And yeah, we talk about different topics, uh, you know, have people on share their SBS stories, that sort of thing. Fabulous. And I, I did look at your website and I saw that there was a link to your podcast and I did listen to a couple and I really love the way you were talking and, you know, with you had uh, somebody, a guest on with an SBS and um, there's so much to learn from podcasts like yours. So I love mm -hmm. it that you were able to plug it here. So thank you so much for conversing with us, Abigail. The, your stories are so fascinating. It was so great to learn from you. And uh, we can't wait to see more of your content as you move along. And maybe one day we'll have you again if you, you know, are offering a course or something new or any updates on anything else. Maybe we can invite you again. Well, thank you so much for having me. This was really fun. I always, I always love chatting GHK, you know that. So <laughs> I <laughs> my mythomanic constellation. <laughs> yes. And it's also my, I, you know what I have? I have the mother Teresa constellation. I just oh, found it. <laughs> That's not a surprise at all. Yeah. <laughs> Being in this love, kind of work, right? Help people. Yeah. I think, you know, and constellations are something to be, to be celebrated. You know, they don't have to be a, a you know, a bad thing or like, you know, a, a label, right? Like, and Dr. Sasha even told me, he said, you know, a lot of your constellations, I wouldn't even try to resolve. He's like, a, a lot of them, I think they're making you who you are. They're, you know, that that's what makes you good at certain things you do. And, and, you know, you know, you're, personality, right? Like, so I think, yeah, we can, we can understand people better and realize, that, you know, not everything needs to be necessarily resolved. My mythomanic constellation. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Cause it's still serving you. Right. And he told me, cause I also have a flying constellation. He said, you know, basically we don't want, these are happy people. Yeah. We want more happy people in this world. So we don't want flying <laughs> the flyers to resolve yeah. their constellations because we want happy people. And, and, you know, when you look at a constellation, you don't look at them as a single unit. You look at all the, the big picture. So all of your constellation conflicts will paint the picture of who you are as a unique individual. And so you can't take, you know, you, you can't just take one cut and dried and say, oh, you're schizophrenic. No, it's everything. It paints a whole big picture of this personality that makes you who you are. And that's why I love constellations so much. I really, I really love it. <laughs> it's fascinating. We could take, we could that's talk so a whole funny. day about constellations. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. I love chatting with you. Thank you so much for giving us this time, Abigail. Thank you so much. Okay. Bye. Bye. As an adjunct to this episode, I'd like to talk about some Senseful Biological Special Programs mentioned in the episode. All of this information can be found on learninggnm.com. Let's start with osteoporosis, often termed brittle bone. It refers to reduction in bone mass. 
Mainstream medical understanding attributes osteoporosis to decreased estrogen production following menopause in women. However, this theory remains hypothetical as some postmenopausal women don't develop osteoporosis, while some women experience it before menopause. Men and children can also suffer from osteoporosis, but they aren't routinely screened for bone density and aren't considered high-risk groups, which downplays its significance outside the context of estrogen deficiency. From the perspective of Germanic New Medicine, osteoporosis reflects a chronic, generalized self-devaluation conflict affecting the skeletal system. The gradual decalcification of bones parallels the notion of constant dripping wears the stone, attributed to continuous self-devaluation. GNM posits that postmenopausal osteoporosis isn't solely linked to reduced estrogen or dietary calcium, but rather to attitudes towards aging and menopausal changes, such as diminished attractiveness, feeling unneeded, and decreased libido. In cultures where aging is embraced without Western anti-aging pressures, osteoporosis is less prevalent. Additionally, the diagnosis of osteoporosis and the fear of debilitation can exacerbate self-devaluation conflicts, perpetuating chronic conditions, underscoring the importance of early GNM awareness. In cases where bone tissue loss accompanies cancer, it's often labeled as osteolytic bone cancer or bone metastasis, even without tumor growth. This phenomenon is especially common after the diagnosis of primary cancer, negative prognosis, or the adverse effects of cancer treatments like surgery, radiation, and chemotherapy. Consequently, bone cancer ranks alongside lung cancer as a prevalent secondary cancer. Typically, bone cancer manifests near the primary cancer site, such as the sternum or ribs with breast cancer, or the lower back with prostate cancer, reflecting the psychological impact of feeling useless in those areas. During the healing phase, bones undergo reconstruction aided by the formation of callus by bone-building cells known as osteoblasts, similar to odontoblasts in tooth repair. Initially soft, the new bone material gradually solidifies into a hard callus. However, in conventional medical practice, the soft callus is sometimes misinterpreted as pus and removed, leaving bone cavities or osteolysis behind. Prolonged joint healing due to ongoing conflicts can lead to the formation of bone spurs or osteophytes along the bone edges, seen in conditions like heel spurs, which can limit joint mobility, affecting areas such as fingers, shoulders, knees, and hips. Bacteria, particularly Staphylococcus, play a crucial role in bone tissue restoration, particularly in fractures. Surgeons often encounter staph infections during operations unaware that these bacteria are integral to bone healing. A concern in hospitals with methicillin-resistant Staphylococcus aureus. If beneficial bacteria are absent, perhaps due to antibiotic use, healing still occurs but may not reach its biological peak. Now let's talk about IBS or irritable bowel syndrome. 
in the realm of the colon, excluding the sigmoid colon, the biological conflict manifests as an indigestible morsel conflict, similarly seen in organs like the stomach, duodenum, small intestine, and pancreas gland. While animals confront actual indigestible food, humans may perceive various circumstances or events as indigestible, such as unattainable purchases, unmet promises, or unpleasant situations. This conflict specific to the colon, including the appendix and cecum, is often experienced as particularly tumultuous, involving disputes over money, property, divorces, court battles, or betrayals marked by an element of ugliness. Aligned with evolutionary logic, morsel conflicts represent the primary theme for brainstem-controlled organs stemming from the endoderm layer. In the conflict active phase, beginning with the DHS or the Durkheimer syndrome or the conflict shock, during the conflict active phase, cells within the large intestine multiply in response to the conflict intensity, aiming to aid morsel digestion. Even though the colon no longer primarily digests food, it still responds to conflicts with cell proliferation, a remnant of its digestive function. Prolonged conflict activity can lead to tumor or colon cancer development due to sustained cell growth. Tumors may appear flat or take on a cauliflower-like shape. Conventional medicine distinguishes between malignant and benign growth based on cell division rates, with symptoms generally absent during the conflict active phase. However, significant tumors may narrow the colon, causing pencil stool and potential bowel obstruction necessitating surgery. The Healing Phase Following conflict resolution, fungi or mycobacteria like TB bacteria eliminate redundant cells. Healing manifests through symptoms like diarrhea, bloody stool, abdominal cramps, particularly during the epileptoid crisis, and night sweats. Intestinal yeast overgrowth signifies fungal assistance in healing. Infections with E. coli bacteria can also cause bloody diarrhea and abdominal pain. The severity of symptoms depends on the conflict's intensity. If essential microbes are absent due to antibiotic overuse, excess cells persist, eventually becoming encapsulated. Conventional diagnosis may label this as an intestinal polyp or benign cancer. Diverticulitis arises from prolonged healing, thinning the intestinal wall and forming pouches, which can inflame due to conflict relapses. The sigmoid colon marks the final stretch of the large intestine where waste material from food undergoes processing into feces before elimination through the rectum. While the entire intestinal tract once facilitated food absorption and digestion, the colon now primarily secretes mucus. The colon, originating from the endoderm, consists of intestinal cylinder epithelium and is controlled by the brainstem. Within the brainstem's ring form, the colon's four control centers are orderly positioned, starting with a brain relay of the cecum with the appendix, followed by the ascending colon, transverse colon, and descending colon. Biologically, the colon, excluding the sigmoid colon, is subject to an indigestible morsel conflict. 
and this conflict arises when a circumstance, event, or object is perceived as indigestible or non-absorbable, leading to internal distress, especially when situations are considered particularly ugly, such as conflicts over money, property, or betrayals. The sigmoid colon and rectum submucosa are associated with a feces conflict, triggered by either real feces or figurative incidents like dirty business or slander. Morsel conflicts are primary for brainstem-controlled organs from the endoderm. During conflict activity, cells in the sigmoid colon and rectum proliferate to aid morsel digestion, though the rectum no longer digests food. Prolonged conflicts lead to growths diagnosed as colorectal cancer or rectal polyps in conventional medicine. After conflict resolution, fungi or mycobacteria remove unnecessary cells, resulting in rectal bleeding, bowel movements, and night sweats. Rectal cramps occur during the epileptoid crisis, with symptoms varying in severity based on conflict intensity. Rectal cancers manifest in the healing phase, causing bleeding and discomfort. Water retention may lead to rectal obstruction. Abscesses from TB bacterial removal of tumors are often misdiagnosed as hemorrhoids. Now let's talk about the megalomania constellation. The cerebral medulla constellation manifests as a compelling need for attention. Individuals under this constellation exhibit a persistent self-centered attitude and an exaggerated sense of self-worth often appearing overconfident, arrogant, boastful, and pretentious. They may be labeled as show-offs, braggarts, know-it-alls, or even narcissists seeking constant attention, approval, praise, and admiration akin to the characteristics of narcissistic personality disorder as outlined in the DSM-5. The self-importance aims to counteract feelings of inferiority by creating an unreal, superior image of oneself, a phenomenon known in psychology as a superiority complex. Similar behaviors are observed in nature where puffing up feathers serves as a display of strength or size to impress rivals, a natural survival strategy. In humans, the inflated ego shields individuals from further self-devaluation conflicts while empowering them to regain courage and self-assurance, driving exceptional achievements in academia, sports, arts, or professions, a dynamic often associated with the short man syndrome. A sports megalomania stemming from recurring performance conflicts like losing competitions, underperforming, or facing criticism from coaches or parents can propel athletes to excel, a phenomenon often facilitated by the constellation. Please note, organs originating from the new mesoderm or the surplus group demonstrate enhanced strength post-healing, better preparing them for future conflicts of the same nature. Self-centered behaviors persist beyond conflict resolution, particularly with hanging healing, where interruptions prolong the healing phase, resulting in lifelong self-assurance. Mating megalomania drives individuals to boast about their sexual prowess to attract mates for reproduction, applicable to both genders. The cerebral medulla constellation also engenders control freaks, individuals compelled to exert power and control over others, a characteristic observed in gaslighters who manipulate and induce confusion in victims to maintain superiority, a form of emotional abuse 
often combined with an aggressive constellation to inflict harm. Historical figures consumed by grand empire fantasies like Genghis Khan, Alexander the Great, or Napoleon likely experience megalomania. This constellation elucidates the origins of personality cults where leaders construct heroic images for political or religious influence. The Flying Constellation this constellation denotes an inclination to escape reality, often spurred by overwhelming fears such as abuse, torture, or war. Without this constellation, individuals facing immense frights might struggle to endure. Dr. Hammer notes that each flyer flies differently. People under this constellation possess a dreamy disposition, characterized by procrastination, unfinished projects, chronic lateness, and disorganization. They struggle to engage with the present, preferring to evade uncomfortable realities, resulting in a perceived attachment from the real world. Often drawn to professions or hobbies involving flight, they exhibit a penchant for extreme activities like mountain climbing or piloting. Childhood interests such as monoplanes or kites persist into adulthood. Flyers exhibit chronic untidiness, a trait distinct from the autistic constellation often leading to what's known as the messy syndrome. Their compulsion for travel contrasts with the need for home proximity seen in the kidney-collecting tubules constellation. Associated with a fascination for cosmology and science fiction, individuals may explore themes of space travel and extraterrestrial life. Dreams may reflect manic or depressive phases, with flying sensations or falling indicative of emotional states. Night terrors linked to scare or territorial fear conflicts manifest as panic-like episodes, sometimes involving confusion and disorientation. The flying constellation also serves as a gateway to astral travel and out-of-body experiences. These experiences often arise from traumatic events like abuse or accidents and can coincide with near-death experiences. Individuals who actively pursue OBEs may do so through reactivating associated tracks, often stemming from prior terrifying incidents. Notable figures in OB exploration like Paul Elder or William Bullman likely fall under this constellation's domain in GNM terminology. Now let's talk about the motor conflict. The skeletal muscles are tied to a moderate self-devaluation conflict, akin to conflicts affecting bones and joints, reflecting an evolutionary link between self-devaluation and cerebral medulla-controlled organs from the new mesoderm. Motor conflicts associated with muscle movement revolve around feelings of being stuck or unable to move either generally or pertaining to specific muscles or muscle groups. In facial muscles, the conflict may center on losing face or feeling exposed, while jaw muscles relate to the inability to bite. Neck muscles signify constraints on movement, while shoulder and back muscles signify difficulties in stepping aside. Arm muscles may signal restraint or the inability to defend oneself, while hand muscles may signify the inability to grasp or hold on to something. Leg muscles often reflect the fear of being unable to escape or flee, feeling trapped or rooted to the spot, or the fear of not being able to walk. Motor conflicts can extend to loved ones, especially if concerns about feeling stuck involve them. 
The belief in hereditary conditions like ALS or MS can heighten susceptibility to similar conflicts. Fetuses may experience the fear of being unable to escape due to maternal danger or environmental threats, leading to motor disabilities if unresolved. Animals can also suffer motor conflicts such as feeling trapped or confined. During the conflict active phase, muscle tissue undergoes cell loss or necrosis and weakness or paralysis controlled by the cerebral medulla and motor cortex, respectively. Muscle function diminishes as nerve impulses decrease, often manifesting as clumsiness or heaviness. Prolonged conflict activity results in muscle atrophy, weakened pelvic floor muscles linked to various stressors like difficult pregnancies or chronic conditions. Localized self-devaluation conflicts can lead to muscle atrophy, while motor conflicts involving the inability to move an arm or leg may cause muscle weakness and paralysis. Historically diagnosed as paralytic poliomyelitis, symptoms now attributed to ALS, multiple sclerosis, or Guillain-Barré syndrome in vaccinated populations may not be linked to viral infection. Movement disorders like Parkinson's and Huntington's disease are perceived as inherited neurodegenerative conditions. The Autistic Constellation the corresponding brain relays encompass the control centers of the laryngeal mucosa located in the left temporal lobe and the lining of the stomach pancreatic ducts, bile ducts situated in the right temporal lobe, positioned diagonally opposite each other within the cerebral cortex. Once the second conflict arises, the individual enters a constellation state and experiences manic depressive symptoms. The dominant mood, whether manic or depressed, is determined by the strength of each conflict. This constellation may persist permanently or recur due to tracks or conflict relapses. Since the late 1990s, infant autism has been associated with the measles-mumps-rubella vaccine or the MMR vaccine which contains neurotoxins like aluminum and formaldehyde that could potentially lead to severe neurological damage, including cognitive and intellectual deficits. Despite the lack of evidence, conventional medicine denies any link between the vaccine and autism attributing the condition to genetic factors. The determination of whether autistic symptoms such as social anxiety, social withdrawal, resistance to physical contact, or certain compulsive behaviors stem from neurotoxins or an autistic constellation can be easily ascertained through a brain scan. In conventional medicine, disabilities in both children and adults are often attributed to genetic factors or oxygen deprivation during gestation. However, Dr. Hammer's research suggests that mental limitations stem from biological conflicts during prenatal development, birth, or infancy. For instance, he proposes that autism's mental retardation is primarily triggered by a severe autistic constellation rather than birth asphyxia or genetic predisposition. The stressful experiences during distressful vaccination procedures, coupled with neurotoxins, could exacerbate these conflicts, leading to severe consequences. Autism spectrum disorder, according to the Germanic New Medicine perspective, comprises a blend of constellations related to various biological conflicts. 
This diversity explains why not all individuals with autism or Asperger's syndrome exhibit identical symptoms. For instance, disruptive and aggressive behaviors in autistic children may signify an aggressive constellation linked to territorial anger and identity conflicts. Similarly, motor tics like rocking could indicate a motor cortex constellation, possibly arising during birth trauma. The autistic constellation typically prompts a withdrawal from social interactions as a coping mechanism. Individuals with moderate manifestations of this constellation often seek solitude and are hypersensitive to noise, feeling uncomfortable in crowded environments. They may experience cycles of withdrawal and engagement, influenced by the dominance of manic or depressive moods. The need for routine and sameness is prevalent, leading to compulsive ritualistic behaviors and perfectionism in autistic individuals. Their meticulous attention to detail, coupled with a tendency to argue for logical correctness, characterizes their approach to tasks and relationships. Despite challenges, the autistic constellation can foster creativity, perseverance, and accomplishment in individuals, contributing to their unique talents and contributions to society. Many notable artists, writers, and researchers have experienced manic depression often driven by their autistic traits throughout their lives. In biohacking, you control your biology so it doesn't control you. But first, heal your mindset. To Biohacking and Beyond.